Hello, everybody. We are Matt and Kevin, and welcome to Season 3 of the Believe Overwatch League podcast from the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL and at Believe.com. This week, we cover the Summer Showdown Tournament, the new summer event, and a fun announcement for the finals. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another Gameplay League episode of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast. And when I say another one, I mean our hundredth. Well, no, not necessarily our hundredth. Um, this is our hundredth week having the podcast. But now that I think about it, we haven't talked about the gameplay stuff every single week since. So it's technically cheating on this front. Yeah, well, we, we, we've been alive for the hundred weeks. Uh, you know, it, it's mainly, it's a league's like, you know, being, being off season as well as, uh, you know, the little breaks that we have in between, but yeah, we're considering that we're on what we're on season three. I want to make sure that I'm doing this right. We're on season. season. We're on a third season now. Um, yeah. We're still going strong somehow. Season two was so. Season two was just way, way too long. Yeah, I mean, with COVID, COVID. and everything, it just shut down everything. So, yeah, it it was kind of expected that it was going to take a lot longer. Um, I know that you know we we've seen it across sports too, where they're trying to expedite the the amount of time that seasons take. Um, I know the. The NBA cut down the number of games that they play, but there it's a more crammed schedule, and kind of the same thing is happening here for the league, where we're just trying to get a season done, um, just to like, uh, to kind of low key reset the timeline, uh, you know, what? kind of deal. Uh, low key so, timeline reset. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, it's uh. Yeah, we're we're just trying to make sure that we can keep the same pace, but um, hopefully this doesn't do a lot to uh, like injuries wise in the NBA. It's been pretty bad because of the crammed season and not a lot of time to like really recover. Um, hopefully we don't have the same thing that happened during you know the first and second year um, of the Overwatch League, where like players are going to get burnt out by the end of the season. Um, I do feel like. You know, at least they are taking their time with the amount of space, like the amount of games that teams play. But at the same time, like, I feel like if we had the longer season, if we do get back to the way how, you know, the season was originally, um, we'll definitely have a lot more time to space out and have more, you know, more games. I do I, I do have to say I like how the this is feels weird to say, but I like how the pandemic forced the Overwatch League to innovate. Mm-hmm. Um because like if it was if it was just gonna be the way it was, like the way that the league was structured, it was very dependent upon people going to the actual homestands and mm-hmm. then Though it was very much catering to the live audience, like the people who are watching at home, um, I feel like the league probably wasn't going to be ne- not nearly as exciting for them because they're just watching 
these teams play for the entire season until we get to playoffs or until we get to midseason. Um, which is like if you're there in person, like you're going to enjoy the games that week. But aside from that, there's like nothing really to make them stand out. Um, with with the Monty model, as as I've now elected to call it in this very second, the Monty model of tournaments, like as we've seen, like the the, the power balance shifts each week, and with with the the breaks in between, and then resetting like the standings with each tournament and who gets the win, like it it, it raises the stakes a little bit. It makes it, I think, more enjoyable and, and more important to watch who's playing each week and, and who's winning each week. Yeah, I do agree that, you know, the, once again, the Monty model is just way more entertaining. Um, we're tuned in literally every month just to see who wins kind of these benchmark like games. Like it was cool that we had like some of those intermittent tournaments but like the the way how this is structured shows us like okay who's making progress how are people landing um and you know how how different is this um but hopefully we get uh hopefully we have the same thing continuing on next year and still getting people engaged uh even in the later parts of the tournament like combining the monty model with the homestand model like that is the best of both worlds. Like you've got the engaging tournament circuit so that people at home, like who, who aren't able to go to a homestand, like at least they'll have some stakes and some reason to be excited for the tournaments. Whereas like the people in person can be excited for the tournament because of the tournament, but also because they're there in person. Yeah. I, I remember Matt and I talking about, you know, the, uh, the four were we were we saying four like homestand like locations yeah. or something like that yeah like a, where a regional homestand kind of model yeah um and, and making something like that would still get people to show up for sure um and i feel like that is going to be the the fun part of it it's just like getting people all together to to watch the games live but also to have the weekly or like to still have those structured tournaments um, in the league format itself. So anyway, Kevin, how has your, your weekend gaming been since we last spoke? Um, I'm, I'm very relieved to know that uh, Pokemon Unite is coming out at midnight. Um, my real struggle now is going to be my sleep schedule. Um, how long can I play? And uh, obviously, who can I play with? Because I don't know who is going to uh, who's going to be with me at midnight tonight. But I'm I'm going to log on. I'm going to play. I'm going to figure out what the hell I'm doing, and then we're just gonna we're gonna play the game. We're gonna play some games. Um, and I'm excited. I was really excited the second that the game was announced. Um, because it's kind of a hybrid of you know Pokemon a game that I really love, and a MOBA, which is something that I have clear PTSD of, but putting them together, hopefully I won't have a bit of both. So, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be fun. Who are you thinking about maining? So, the the first thing that comes out in the game is, like, we're going to get starter Pokemon. So there's five starter Pokemon, and you get to pick one of them. So, um, Pikachu, Charizard, Talonflame, Snorlax, and Edelgoth. Edelgoth. Ed- Edelgoth. 
the uh, the dandelion one. Um, those are your five starter Pokemon, and you get to pick one. Um, I'm picking Snorlax, uh, because he's a thick boy, and I he also has a Rhine Shield, so it, it's kind of the kind of the staple for me. Um, but later down the line, I was looking at Crustal, who is a it's, he's a hermit crab, um, and then also. Uh, Alone with Ninetales. There's just a lot of Pokemon that I, I'm really interested in watching, um, and I want to I want to get my hands on them. I'm 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 ready. Um, but a lot of people are saying save your save your points because they might do like weekly releases where like you you play a certain. It's like it's gonna be the thing that they do in Overwatch now, where you like play a certain amount of games and then you get experience and then you could unlock things. Um, that's kind of how they're what they're leaning towards. Mm-hmm. How about you, Matt? How's your week? Uh, are you you enjoying your time and how are your video games? My video games are going okay. I didn't get to play nearly as much this week as I wanted to, just because like I have to I can't stay up all night playing anymore because I have to be awake at a normal functional hour because I, I am an an employed adult now, which is like is a good thing because money and I can I can get the health insurance and things like that. But also I got so used to being only semi-functional and being freelance and getting to do whatever I wanted pretty much throughout the day. So my sleep schedule is is still on like I, I can fall asleep whenever. I can, like one of my if I have a superpower, it's the ability to fall asleep pretty much wherever and whenever I want to. Um, so I can still sleep, but it's just, my body is used to waking up at like noon. So, um, no more late night gaming sessions for me. So I'm still trying to, still trying to beat village, but we played our, our first game of the season for the league. Um, Zomniks were play, facing, I think, um, I think Ohana Viper is, is the name of the other team. I'm not sure. Um, we lost, but we, I think like we, we brought it very close to them. It was like, it's one of those like 99 to 99 deals every time. So, um, I feel like they, they did a little bit better than us. There was one map where I feel I was a little bit salty. Um, one of their, uh, one of their players disconnected. And so the moderator or whoever's running the match is supposed to pause it. The moderator for this match was not paying attention and we had a whole two minutes or so where we just kind of waiting for them to pause the game um so we had to reset that round and and the uh, the other team decided when they were when they were redoing their half when they were on their attack they decided you know what what we were doing earlier wasn't working let's just pull the bastion so they did that which i was a little bit salty about but no, no, no remedy for it now. Um, I did get uh, MVP for my team for my Reinhardt play, which was, which was satisfying. Uh, although now that I I do work, I'm going to be working like nine to six, um, and my practices for my team are on are from six p.m. to like eight p.m. ish. But for this next couple of weeks, I have practice for the play rehearsal right after work. So for the next like three ish weeks, 
I'm like not going to be able to practice with my team. And if we have a game that I can make, I'm going to have to like practice on my own time, which is not ideal for a team in a team game where you're competing against other teams who practice together. But aside from that, I would say my gaming was good because I didn't get disconnected from my internet. Yeah, I hope that, you know, you get your hours and just have fun. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, when I was playing with the team, there were moments where like, you know, school or something else would take over and you just have to get in that right mental state when you finally get get in there and you're like ready to go. So hopefully, hopefully they, they don't get give you a sub or anything. Uh, you could just go in there and just, you know, do your business, get the KO, uh, you know, run them over. I mean, you got MVP. They, they can't really take you off now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just just got to work. I'm also one of the OG members of the team. So it's like, y'all, y'all yeah. can't get rid of me. I was here. Since I have seniority. <laughs> Anyway, Kevin, how what did you think of the final week of the Summer Showdown tournament? Um, honestly, I was like, okay, the Dallas Fuel are coming in. They're gonna try to do something again. Uh, they they didn't. Uh, <laughs> they they really didn't. Um, I was really surprised about how well the Hunters really turned around. Oh, absolutely. You know, public public perspective. Um. Like they were, they were sharp and they were good. Um, I was really like when I was watching these matches back. Um, at, at first, I was like, okay, well, the hunters are you know second seed in the East. Like they're probably just going to fall behind the Shanghai Dragons. And the the thing that I was looking at, I remember looking at a stat. Um, I think it was on Instagram or something like that, where um, they said. As of now, the LA, the new LA Valiant is the worst team uh, in terms of map record, including the Owen 40, uh, the Owen 40 Shanghai Dragon year. They had a better map record than the Valiant. So I'm like, okay, Wait, they've, yes. <laughs> so in terms of percentage, like percentage of maps won, the Shanghai Dragons during the Owen 40 year had a better map win percentage than the LA Valiant this year. I think the Valiant only have like, they have like a 12% map win rate. And when the Shanghai Dragons were playing, I think it was like 27 or something like that. 27% of the maps they won. So, so they'll win like a little more than one in 10 of the maps they play. Yeah, it, it's pretty, it's pretty sad. Dear Lord. Are there so, not better players in China? Yeah, I, yeah. Is is this what you call your best? Is this your Olympic team that you're bringing to, you know, the World Cup? I don't think so. I mean, you might as well just grab, you know, who's left of Chengdu and uh, and the Spark because those are your those are your real MVPs there. You can totally just grab Gregory. She's not signed to my knowledge, and actually yeah. play her. Yeah. But it was also like really cool to see. Like, I mean, the Shanghai Dragons um, did well in the last one too, right? Like, I, they won the the last tournament too, right? Yes, they um, did. So, so it, it's, it's been, just really it's been Dallas, Shanghai, Shanghai. 
But yeah, going back to the Shanghai Dragons, I remember when they were, you know, 0 and 40, they were like the laughing stock of the Overwatch League. And now watching them both win the June Joust as well as the Summer Showdown is I'm just like, I remember when this team sucked and now they're really turning it around. And I'm really happy for them too. Like I'm I'm glad that they like found something that worked. Um and even if it is a complete overhaul of the team and all that, like you can't really discount them now they're they're really right. a good team and cohesive and ready to go they literally started from the bottom and now they're here yeah i feel like someone should do like if there's ever going to be a documentary about the overwatch league then you do it on the shanghai dragons and how they turned around from the, the world record holding worst esports team to now dominating the league yeah and i feel like the you know the cherry on top would be if they win the grand finals like oh yeah if you if you do this whole thing and they like if they win june joust summer showdown and then like let's say if they lose the countdown cup right then you have that anime arc where they're like okay playoffs they they go through they could i mean they could go through lower bracket or something like that they don't have to script it that way but like you know, you can you can have that whole like anime redemption arc, right? From going from season one, like worst record to now the best record, mm-hmm. um, and eventual champions. So, who did you think was going to win this tournament? Um, I you know I I thought Dallas was going to come in and be strong again and kind of take the last tournament personally. Yeah, and come in with a blaze, but they they really did like, uh, for lack of a better word, really fizzled out here um, against the other teams. Like, yeah, they they put up a fight against Atlanta um, in their lower bracket, but like when when they faced the Hunters again, they just couldn't do anything. Like they had their number. Yeah, I feel like I think my, my I I thought the Fuel were going to win it. I thought it was going to be. Oh, I feel I don't know if I actually thought it was gonna be um in the finals rain v fuel. I feel like I wanted it to be um just to give the rain a chance to to win it all. Looking at it realistically, it if it was if I would have predicted it properly, I think I would have properly predicted um dragons versus the fuel. Um but yeah, no, I was completely wrong. So very, very, very wrong. Um Kevin, one thing I did want to ask you about um, is last week something we talked about was um, the, the, whole, the travel thing to Hawaii and the schedule that um, the teams traveling to Hawaii have to kind of accommodate on top of playing in the tournament uh, and, and the pressure that comes with not just playing a normal Overwatch League match, but playing in the tournament match for the extra win um, points, the, the money, uh, etc. Um, so I can't find the tweet. Um, but I might have it might have been last week the tweet that we talked about. Um, but people were saying this week that like they were bringing up the fact that the schedule has made it hard for like the um, the Western teams to really compete. Like, oh, it's so much harder for us. We have to get used to the new time zone, the travel, etc. And I think that's what people were blaming this loss on. But if you, but the first tournament, Dallas won it. 
And I feel like it was, it might've been harder for them then. I, of course, I don't know for sure, but I feel like it would be harder then because of the uncertainty of doing that, the, the Hawaii thing. And like, they didn't know it was coming now, but at least by now they should kind of be used to it. Um, but, and, and, and even in the last tournament, like Dallas may not have won it, but they did fairly well in it. So um, do you feel like blaming the um, the North American team's losses on that that travel is a fair thing? Or is it kind of just like, oh, uh, well, yeah, of course we lost. We were, we were at a disadvantage and just kind of passing the blame onto that. I remember when we had Artie here, that was one thing that he was really like kind of mad about. Like, I wouldn't say mad about, but more like concerned about. It was definitely a worry. Um, and that's why, you know, he said the, the Dallas fuel win, like the first one was really important to Hawaii um, to kind of just say like, hey, they could still win um, even under these conditions. But I don't want to say, you know, oh, that was a fluke, but I do understand the shift in like the the thinking, the mentality of it. Um, and like having to adjust to time zones and stuff isn't like a quick thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I do agree that we need to figure out how we're going to, you know, pace this out, how we're going to make the the tournament and everything really work for Western teams, especially if they are having trouble adjusting to the Hawaiian schedule. Like just to put it into perspective, even for us on the West coast, like we're three hours ahead of them. So uh -huh. if you're even coming from like, once again, like Atlanta, which is like two hours ahead of us, that's five hours back um, for other places. Like same thing with Dallas. They have that same like, problem they have to you know five hours backwards uh, it, it's kind of tough um i would like the schedule to be to like allow them to kind of relax for the first day or if you want to do all the promotional stuff when they land give them a couple days to like adjust to it or even if you want to like i'd, I'd be fine with this too where um you can have like a week off and then do the tournament and then just have another week off like it's fine it's okay to space things out um even if it's dead time like you fill fill that in with like uh like the fun tournament stuff okay mm -hmm. like either that or if you really want to be freaking like eight head about it have contenders tournaments during the breaks like you have your overwatch league tournament like your your end of the month thing um or you have the tournament the week before you have your summer showdown tournament. So like you have like the midweek tournament right before um it's still Overwatch League content, right? You could still put it on the yeah. Overwatch League site. It doesn't necessarily have to be the league itself. So you could either do contenders, I would also wouldn't mind seeing collegiate. Like you can do whatever you want in that time slot, but you should if you want to, I don't even like you could even do like the whole like community spotlight thing for a week, like a weekend. And that'd be cool. Or I mean, there, there's just a lot of options that you can do in order to give your players time to adjust to it and then also have time to recover and get back home. 
Um, I understand from, you know, the other half of it where it's like, if you're in Shanghai or like, you know, in that APAC region, you're still in your time zone. Like you are used to whatever time you play at, um, which, you know, I understand that that feels weird, but at the same time, like it does kind of give them the advantage that they could just wake up and be ready. Um, yeah. They don't have to like adjust to anything. Um, but I do feel like if they gave the players more time to adjust, um, we would be okay, even as a viewing fan base, um, rather than to just have them have the ability to blame it on travel or blame it on lag and stuff like that. Just have it be even, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's there's ways to fill the content. I mean, I f- I feel like they might be trying to avoid extending the season mm-hmm. even longer than it has to be. But, like, honestly, it's four weeks. You you would get or rough. How many tournaments are there? Are there four? Yeah. Okay, it's like so a yeah. month. Yeah. So it's four weeks. You've got four tournaments, right? So in the grand scheme of things, you're extending the season for about a month, but you're also giving like the lower scenes something to to look forward to and something to prepare and something to train for and kind of putting the attention that they need to succeed on them. So yeah, like doing a, a one you could do like one tournament for um, like maybe after the, the May Mela, you do like the contenders tournament. Then after the June joust, you do the, uh, the collegiate tournament. Then you do another, uh, uh, another contenders and another collegiate that there you got your four and then um, spaces it out enough for both collegiate and contenders and also gives the, the pros a week that they can just, or a weekend that they can just chill and get used to it and do all the press junkets they need to. But then again, like, yeah, you are paying for that other extra week for the, the players to be there. But even, or you could just like, not even a week, just show up maybe a day or two before. They're, you're playing for two more days of, of them being there. Like, it's it's money, but like, your players will be happier. Their performance will be better. Anyways, let's get into covering the actual games and the schedule. So uh, here is how it all shook down. Um, Let me bring up the bracket. So um. On Thursday, the 15th, when this all started, the Chengdu Hunters went 3-1 over the Dallas Fuel, and the Shanghai Dragons went 3-0 over the Atlanta Reign. Now, the next day, on the loser's bracket, we had the Dallas Fuel knocking out the Atlanta Reign 3-2. In the winner's bracket, we had the Shanghai Dragons knocking the Chengdu Hunters down in a 3-2 match. And to end that day, we had the losers final, which was the Dallas Fuel facing the Chengdu Hunters, and the Chengdu Hunters once again beat the Fuel in a three to zero this time. Um, and then finally, we had a one to four match with the Shanghai Dragons triumphing over the Chengdu Hunters to become the two-time winners of this season. So, Shanghai Dragons win. Uh, 
I did I did not as we said before, I neither of us expected this tournament to shake out the way that it did. I didn't think that the hunters like the hunters have been getting better. I will say they're playing more orthodox or not more not maybe not even orthodox is the word, but they're playing more conventional picks and like more um proven compositions recently. So it's like they're playing, I feel like is better overwatch. But they still have the tendency to be like Chengdu zone where they're they're just so weird about it. And they're th- they're making things that don't work work just because no one knows how to play against them because they're so weird. Yeah, they're going a little bit more orthodox, but they are keeping that little bit of a flair where they're willing to try different things. Um, and it does catch some teams off, but uh, I feel like you know, when you see the matchup against Shanghai and Chengdu, I felt like it's like they've seen each other enough. They kind of know know right. how they're they're gonna play. I mean, so that's in the same region, so they have they have to face each other often. Yeah, and on top of that, like another thing that I was talking with friends about, um, when it comes to like this kind of matchup, the the way how they're playing is very pub style, which is in other words, like it's more fun to watch because it's not as coordinated, but because they play with each other so much, like they play against each other so much, they have to pull out these weird, like off the wall strats that they would only do in like a game that's unrated. And Mm -hmm. it's really funny to see, like there's one specific one, you know, in match three um, that everybody was highlighting um, that I think definitely shows like these guys are just, chilling and trying to figure out what's going on you know yeah yeah um so this first match between the uh the hunters versus the fuel uh this was a three to one the first and only uh well the first match was the only win that the dallas fuel got against the hunters um i do want to say like i i had i took this is just minor stuff but like when I when I've talked before about like it's hard for me to take some casters seriously. Like I have a hard time taking Sideshow seriously because he'll say things that like just don't end up being true or just like blatantly false. Like he's like he said that the only person in the league that plays Farah is Jinmu, except Fled has been playing Farah the entire season. And he's like very adamant, like, no one in the league has played Farah this season except for Jinmu. And it's like, have you you cast the APAC region. What are you talking about? Fleta has been rocking the Farah, especially on like the same map they were talking about, Lijon Garden. Like Fleta has been fairly effective on that Farah. So, um, and then later on during uh, the control center part of of uh, Lijon, he's like, "Oh, this is the quintessential Reinhardt map." So I, I'm going. We're, I can expect to see both teams playing a Reinhardt here. No one picked Rhyme. So I feel like a lot of the time Sideshow is just talking out of his ass. Like he he's obviously has to be like knowledgeable in the game. And like he does have a very like good demeanor for it. It's just like I question his knowledge and his call outs sometimes. Yeah, it I, I feel that pressure. Like as a as a commentator as well, like this is one of the rules that I have. I it's literally a ride or die rule for me. Um, it is, if you're unsure, don't say anything. <laughs> um, and it saves me so many times. Cause like, sometimes 
I would rather not have anything on the record than be on the record and be wrong. Right. Um, like one of them was like really specific. Another another one that I had on that rule was um, don't try to do math. Uh, that's that's a big one. If people try to start like try to do math in the middle of their uh, their games, you tend to not only lose your mind, but also like you could be very wrong. So like when it came to like damage numbers on Farah when the game first came out, um, people were like, "Oh yeah, it does a hundred. It does hundred and seventy-five damage direct hit, and that should be a KO on a tracer." And I'm like, "Does it kill the tracer or not? Like that's." <laughs> That's the real question. Did, did the rocket did the rocket kill the tracer? No, no, brought it low. Just say it brought it low. Don't even try to like worry about like numbers. And I say the same thing like when I was casting Pokemon too. It's like, oh well, if you do the damage calc, like it should knock this out. It's like, did it kill it? Yes, no. Like that. That's it. So, um, when it comes down to like calling things or making specific, you know, like calls here, like you know, Jinmu's the only Fara. Um, just be like, Far has been played very rarely in this half due to the, you know, the popularity of Echo. Like, that's 100% true. And it's not, like, you know, 100% wrong. Or you could say, like, once again, for Reinhardt saying, you know, or Side Show saying that Ryan is essential on this map. You could say, like, Ryan is a very popular pick on Control Center uh, traditionally because teams like to death ball and it's really helpful in the close quarters. Um, but, you know, we have seen teams do other things and has worked in their favor, right? Like, that, I just said the same thing that Sideshow said, but I am correct. Yeah, uh, you're not, so. not going to get proven wrong for saying that teams like to run Reinhardt, and you might see it here. Whereas yeah. Sideshow's, like, pretty much priming you for, like... You're going to see it here, and then it's not there. He's exactly. priming himself to be... He's, like, tempting fate. Yeah, and that it's it's a thing. Obviously, like everybody's gonna be like, "Oh well, I could cast that. Oh, if Sideshow could do it, I could do it." it it's harder than you think, buddy. Uh, yeah. Definitely, like it, it's a matter of wording your things correctly, um, and trying to figure that out. And that comes with time. Um, like I'm, I'm casting tomorrow, and I'm still a little nervous. Um, but hopefully, like I won't say anything that's like too out of the you know, two out of the way and then just like get roasted on Twitter later. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like and pe- the, the pair between Bren and Sideshow is like, it's iconic. People give Bren shit all the time, but I enjoy listening to Bren. He's like very goofy about it. And like, even when he's just, he's clearly bullshitting, like he's still fun about it. And he's like not wrong about things as often I would say because he doesn't commit to he doesn't like he's not definitive about things as often so it's it it's less likely that he's gonna get himself proven wrong um anyway back to the actual game coverage Lee Jong did go to the fuel um the first map on garden like there there were a lot of very contentious fights like Dallas was giving as good as it was getting, but like the hunters were still, I think in control for enough of the time that like, it was clear that garden was going to go to them. The thing is, is like when you move on to night market and control center, um, 
I feel like what what did it for them was that um, just the fuel are, are were. I feel like the fuel were were still very confident right here. Um, they did a lot of really good uh, alt cycling and a lot of aggression to keep the the hunters from touching the point. Um, that that was it. It was their aggression, and I think that they had really good alt usage. So. I feel like this is why they um, they won that first point, uh, this first map on Lijiang. But then the rest of it, the rest of it is is not is not pretty for them. This is just like a straight 3-0 after this for the hunters. Um, they're not taking care of Jinmu, uh, especially on. Uh, the second map of Volskaya. Jinmu is playing um, Sombra a lot in this, and like they're not doing anything to stop him from hacking. So, I mean, when you're playing, um, when you're playing a Winston and your Winstons are getting hacked or your Tracers or Echoes are getting hacked, like those are heroes who are like very dependent on their abilities. Like, if you can't blink away with a Tracer, you're super squishy, you're dead. An echo on the ground, you're super squishy, you're dead. You're playing your Winston, you can't jump away or you can't bubble, you're super squishy for a tank, and you're dead. Um, so they just kind of let Jin Mu just do whatever he wanted with them and play with them. So that gave them a lot of trouble here. Um, fearless is uh, the more fearless plays, I think the the less he deserves that that first season praise of like being the best tank in the league because mm. now, now that teams have seen him play, I feel like he's got the giant target on their back and pe because, especially because people said like, he's the best tank in the league. Like you're going to focus on fearless because if fearless isn't there, then the team kind of collapses. But if fearless is there, then he, he is skilled enough to really give you hell on that Winston. Um, I mean, we, we've seen him. We've seen the team play very well, largely because of him. Um, is he the best in the league? I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure he's the best main tank in the league anymore. Um, but like, if you take out Fearless, then you have a lot less protection, and then your team will collapse. Similarly, if you dive into the back line and you take out the supports, you've got no healing, and then the Dallas Field will die. So... Um, the the Dallas Fuel are not ready for what the 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 APAC region is dealing at, especially Chengdu with their Chengdu zone picks. I will say Gaga was really also instrumental on the aside from Jinmu on the Hunter side because a lot of a lot of the time he denied space very well with the minefield, um, so that did burn a lot of time and did create a lot of space for the Hunters. So. Um, Jinmu and Gaga are were really big. The fuel are just not, it's just not working for them. Um, moving to King's Row. Again, another win for the Hunters. The rest of these are all win for the Hunters. The Hunters are just very, very aggressive. Um, so, and, and even when the fuel tried to counter them by doing counter picks, it like, it doesn't even matter what they're picking. No matter what they're picking, like the Hunters on their weird comps are still getting the, the better value. Like uh, Sparkle went Soldier 76 to counter the Farah. It, it didn't matter. Like he kept, like the Farah was still got an immense value from, from Jinmu. Um, 
Dohan and and Sparkle just really couldn't do anything. Um, they they just have to keep switch. They, literally the entire map, they just keep switching their compositions to try to find something that works. And again, they're losing their alt value or their alt charge every single time they switch. So that on top of like having to change and like change their strategy, they're losing any advantage that the alt charge could have given them. Um, I feel like th there's a point on when the fuel are attacking on the very first point where sparkle gets a pulse bomb kill on to both of the supports. And then the hunters all die because they have no support and they pull back. Um, if not for that one single play, I don't think that the hunters would have, or the fuel would have been able to, to even cap that first point and push. I feel like they're, they're just not ready for the pace and the aggression and the ball play and, and just, the style that the APAC region is bringing out with the hunters, especially again with Chengdu zone and Chengdu playing pretty much their own game. Because I feel like in the, in the North America region, a lot of the time it's very slow bunkery wars of attrition and less like, even when they're diving um, it's not as fast and frantic and like messy and spread out as you get in the APAC region. And then map four on Gibraltar. Um, it was just, it was just a, a, a sad loss for the fuel. <laughs> That's all I can say. The, the fuel just, they didn't perform. Um, I feel like team, like ever since the end of the, um, the June joust, teams have just been picking apart the fuel piece by piece. I think like they, maybe they've seen enough or played against the fuel enough to know what their strategies are and what they're doing so that their early success isn't going to work anymore because teams know how to counter it yeah and that's the I, I called it the Colin Kaepernick effect when it first happened um, but when you find out a way how a team operates and works you study the tape and you're like why does this work how do we break it and that is literally like what happens with great teams which you know I, I was really surprised you know how the shock were able to go back to back but even so, like there have been moments where like you have so much tape, you have so much research on a certain team that you know their quirks almost, you know how they want to operate. And teams have figured that out about the fuel. They've just said, like, okay, well, if they if they start going aggressive, we just play slightly back more, and then we collapse when they overextend. Um, and yeah, that that seems to work quite well. So yeah, we'll see if they can keep making adjustments to that. They know that they can't one-trick everything every time. So, uh, yeah, the, these are professional teams. They're smart. They know how to. They know how to work out all yeah. that. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how you know the league adjusts to that. And then obviously, like, how are they going to adjust to the dragons now? You know, they they've won two. Right. Uh, it's just a matter of time before somebody's like, okay, well, they keep doing X, Y, or Z. Maybe we should try to do something to answer mm -hmm. but yeah the the rain versus the dragons this was a 3-0 and the dragons really just uh they clapped them uh for a lack of a better term um the first thing that i wanted to point out is um when it is like these games were not even close really um it was 0-2 on uh on nepal to start and then it went uh one and two hanamura and then zero and three Kings row and Shanghai just took all of them. Um, the thing that 
if I were to just summarize the big question that I had for this first day was where was Kai? During these fights, traditionally, we've seen Kai sub in during Hanamura and King's Row just to play the long range game in order to, you know, play the sniper role that, you know, that instant one tap potential that we saw literally like derail teams back when they were back in uh, the June joust. We saw that quite heavily um, and it worked out really well. Um, just being able to, you know, pick off a support really, really quickly. Same thing going the other way. Um, applying a lot of pressure with Ash's Dynamite, especially on Hanamura. Like, those things we saw work really well when Kai was behind the wheel. Uh, we did not see that at all this entire match. And I don't know if it was... The, did, they, did they leave Kai at home? Did he not make the flight? Like... If that was the case, then bro, who forgot to wake him up? Okay. Like, I felt like they needed him in this moment. Um, and they were kind of lost. Um, the dragons really did overwhelm the rain throughout this entire fight. And there was no real answer to Fleta. Like, you have Fleta just doing his own thing on the far majority of the time. It felt like he was almost like styling on him because they didn't have any answer. And I felt like, you know, the answer would have been bring in your hit scan specialist to mess with Jinmu. You know, that that's something. To, no, to mess with Fleta. Just to get him off of that, like, hero. Just make him uncomfortable. And they didn't do that at all. They just let him do their own thing. And yeah, that's why they lost day one. I mean... The dragons were just way more coordinated. They were getting everything they wanted out of these fights. And there was no like change of tactic or no change or adaptability or answer from the Atlanta rain. So they just kind of took it. I mean, that that's how I see it. I wish that the rain made that adjustment um, a little bit earlier. And if we saw that, maybe they wouldn't have been you know, quickly escorted out of Hawaii. Escorted out of Hawaii. <laughs> I can I can honestly see them just like being like shoved to the airport. Like, nah, you lost. Go away. Yeah, yeah, go. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you got you got a consolation day. Yay. But <laughs> it wasn't was it really that. Um, and then I guess uh we'll touch on match three. So um it was Chengdu versus Shanghai the first time that they met up. Um, this was a three to two, so this one was actually like really, really close um, compared to a lot of the other matches that we saw. Um, the the one thing that I, I remember everybody was sending me highlights of this: um, <laughs> the suicide bomber. Uh, I think it was was it Fleta who pulled it off. Um, let me let me just double check. No, it was Lip. Okay, so Lip did this suicide uh, play that won them the point. Uh, it was Ilio's Lighthouse. Um, and we see, I believe, let me let me just double check the frames here. Um, so Jinmu and uh, Evil Tall are playing a far are playing a pharmacy combo. Um, and they're just spamming rockets out of range um, into the point to try to get Shanghai off. 
Lip had the 10,000 gigabrain idea or what I consider, you know, like this is something that you do for fun. You don't do this when there are stakes, let alone, you know, things on the line, like your positioning uh, in the bracket on the line. But he throws his translocator over the cliff. Like he knows he's going to die here. Like he's he's throwing it out. EMPing both the far and the mercy, they drop like flies. He commits suicide, but because of that, there was no offensive pressure coming from Chengdu, and <laughs> Shanghai ends up winning that point. So, if it's that like heads up play, or you know, it, if you saw that in a like a regular server, you'd be like, okay, yeah, this guy is trolling. Like this, no one would ever do something like that. But it was just so perfect. For what they needed to do in that moment and I'm, I'm very thankful that the overwatch league observers actually caught that it was it was great another thing like if you want to talk about Eichenwald and Watchpoint Gibraltar um the two maps that Chengdu won I have to give it to Monk like Monk did the I have never seen or I haven't seen a Zenyatta be this aggressive since season one jonak okay and monk was like channeling that and he was like hyper aggressive zenyatta and just finding picks and he was the third dps he really did like he did a lot of work in order to secure maps uh two and three both on eichenwald and on Watchpoint gibraltar um and yeah it unfortunately for them they couldn't quite find the way how to lock it down for map five when they went back to the control point map but honestly it was just a really good like precursor to the finals so now going to the uh the losers final the hunters versus the fuel so now i mean these teams have both faced each other once at the very beginning they're meeting up again um the fuel like they come out swinging really here um the fuel are usually like they're usually taking point first, which is a good start, but like they 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 end up losing the point anyway. Um, I feel like one of the reasons why that one that, that they they took the points first and were able to to kind of bring up their all percentage, but also that they lost is because they're so liberal with their their um their alt usage, like immediately you get the point uh, the fuel like pretty much take the point very at the very beginning um and then as soon as they get the coal lessons they use it in their second fight to hold where like you might have i like i I get you want to build up as much old percentage as you can but they're just pretty much dumping ults as soon as they can get them instead of like using them for important fights later on so that like when they need them later and the, the, the hunters are coming in and when you could really have used that coal to either keep your team up or push the, the hunters back, you don't have it. Um, they're uh, the, the hunters. I mean, like they're, they're using the ball. I think, I feel like the Hammond pick is very much, I feel an APAC preferred thing as opposed to like the West prefers the Winston. Um, I just in general feel like the Hammond pick is, is more useful and it's a more effective um, hero, except when you're like trying to stall with 
maybe the primal. Um, that's maybe I think the big difference between the two. But in general, I feel like the Hammond gets more value, and I think that's what happened here. Um, this just the the picks were better, um, and the the fuel just were not. I don't think they were making good decisions. Moving on to Anubis, this one. Um, okay, this was a ridiculous map. Uh, um, on both of the hunters' attacks, they took it with their first attack. I mean, the first. On the hunter's first attack, they took both of the points in their first pushes. So they fin- they finished the first point with three minutes and ten seconds, which gave them six minutes and ten seconds to attack the second point, and then they capped it with four minutes and fifty seconds. Um, the uh, the the reason that the fuel were able to um, to cap in their second attack, I mean the first attack on the second point, like they they had a little bit of scrappy fighting to get to, to get the first point. Um, but they were having a really hard time trying to get any tick percentage on that second point in Anubis. Um, I feel like all that trouble made the hunters feel a little bit too, um, too cocky. So they were holding very, very far forward. They were pretty much spawn camping. They were nowhere near the point. So eventually just after a lot of fighting, the hunters are able to, not the hunters, um, the fuel are able to bank up two ticks and they, they're struggling to get that third one. But um, just by the nature of having to only get one more tick and the uh, the hunters being so far away from point, Sparkle's able to just, on his tracer, just blink all the way there and back cap it. So that is why they... Um, that's why they they lost that one. But then again, we went to the um to uh, the the second round of attack. Um, it's just, it's both teams here C nine, which is ridiculous. The the C nine from the the hunters to get allow the fuel to cap it in the first round of attacks was hubris again. The fuel C nine was just they're being stupid. They're playing Zarya and like they are able to get a really good grab and kill off the hunters. Um, but they're so focused on that that the, they're just not paying attention to the point, which I mean, they only had two minutes to try to take it. Uh, they see nine completely. They just don't touch the point. So they don't, they don't even get, they win the fight, but it doesn't matter because they're not even taking the point. Um, and then the hunters just easily capped it because you only really need to get one tick. So the hunters are just, are again, are just very, very strong. Um, and then King's row was just weird because I feel like the hunters just lost any, any real cohesion here. Um, hunters felt like the classic Chengdu hunter zone with the throwing things and seeing what sticks and, I mean, they won. I feel like the reason that they won was because the fuel again were were probably mentally boomed, and they're they're just trying strategies that don't work. Gaga was really essential in denying again, like the first match, denying space with his minefield. There's one point where, um, the the hunters are are on to, are on the point, uh, and instead of like contesting immediately, like I feel like they should have. Um, and again, this is a complaint that I have with a lot of the strategies of the league. They let the the hunters take two ticks 
while they're going through like the back end of the point and rotating up the stairs to high ground. Um, so the hunters have two ticks before the uh, the field decide to um, before they decide to jump down onto the point. And then um, by that time, uh, Gaga has already banked up his um, his minefield, puts out a minefield, and then the fuel can't even touch the point. So they just really gave away that point for free. Um, it's 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 dumb decisions like that. I feel like are, are what killed the fuel here. And I, I just fights that they should have taken, they didn't take fights that they they took. Maybe they should have kind of reevaluated their strategy on them. Um, yeah, that that's pretty much that fight. The uh, they looked a lot stronger than the fuel. The fuel, I think were riding for for the longest time they were riding high on being the unexpected champions and like they really were at a disadvantage because of they, they didn't have the players that they thought they would they didn't have like a dedicated hit scan and like it was impressive that they did win that first tournament but i don't feel like they've um as time has gone on especially in in this tournament um they haven't done enough to ensure that they stay dominant they've kind of kind of just rested on their laurels i think so uh i don't know what's going to happen for the rest of the season but if they really want to um they really want to win and stay dominant they're gonna have to figure out what the other teams are doing to kind of um to pick their strategies apart and then so now we move on to the grand finals which hunters versus dragons round two um this was a four to one so uh it felt very much like the um the the hunters versus the fuel where the hunters got the first map but then the rest of the four just went to the dragons fairly dominantly it's really impressive i feel like the hunter the reason why um i think the hunters did win was just because i feel like they're a more polished team again that doesn't rely upon weird picks and playing weird like the hunters don't of course i'd like i've been saying before they don't do it as much um the hunters don't don't rely on weird comps as much but like the dragons as a team just have so many different strategies like um kevin like how how impressive is it that like the hunters can be down a player in a 5v6 and then still end up pretty much winning all these fights or like they have one person on the point and the other team should be able to kill that player and take the point. But that one single player is able to stall out long enough for the response to come back and then just hold the point themselves. Like it, it's super impressive. If anything, I honestly think that it's, it, it's trusting your teammates and knowing spawn timing as well. Um, you know, literally hours under these guys' belts, like they would know, you know, approximately how long they need to stall in order to, you know, keep the trickle going. And it does take a lot of skill to, you know, just survive during these times, especially if you're a squishier character. But I do think that, like, numbers-wise, you think, okay, yeah, a team should be able to collapse and finish this off. But, uh, you know, sometimes things don't go according to plan. Like, literally, you could stall out and zone out for a little bit um, if you have, like, Hammond Mines, and you could just survive which becomes half of the game 
and so yeah so that's pretty much the tale of of this matchup it's that um the the hunters would would get their kills they 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 do fairly well and they're very they're being very aggressive but it's just like the hunters just have this magic where even if they're down they're still able to they're still sturdy enough to to get the win there um i will say like nepal um i i don't know how i feel that this this tournament was ended with a c9 kevin yeah that that's kind of something that <laughs> when i watched it i was like oh no like that they're not gonna let them live that down <laughs> that that was just one of the things that like you hate to see it you hate to see a c9 happen but at the same time you got to remember you know that that is the game it is the objective and sometimes mm-hmm. You know, you get lost in the sauce and you, you forget where, where you put your pasta. Um, but yeah, that that's honestly how it went. Like, I, you hate to see a C9 happen, but you got to win. You got to remember to win. Yeah, and it's like the Hunters, like, while they're good, like, this isn't the first time this tournament where they've C9. Like, they did it in the match right before this, which, I mean, was the day before, but, like, in the very last matchup before this, you, you see nine and you let the fuel back cap you. Um, so I feel like while like the hunters are becoming a much better team, like they've, they, they put up a fight against the dragons, which is like impressive. Um, but I still think they're not focused as a team, you know, they don't have the, is it I don't know if it's the coaching or if it's like the player awareness, but something about the way they play just feels like they're they're still kind of brute forcing it and getting lucky until they have a team that they can't brute force against, like the dragons. Yeah, I I feel like that is the mentality that they had um going into this whole thing. It's you know, try to play to the best of our ability, and then like Shanghai was just ready to match him blow for blow almost and sometimes like yeah i feel like you do get lost on occasion like when you're in the middle of like the heat of a fight and you see somebody who's low you want to chase but yeah sometimes you just have to get back to the the discipline and just like hold it and so once again for the second time in a row the shanghai dragons have cemented their status as the current best team in the league um, we'll see what happens next tournament, which we have the countdown cup, then the playoffs and then the grand finals. So we have one more regular tournament coming our way. We'll see if the dragons can maintain their, their dominance in the countdown cup in that last tournament. Um, or if someone will, will finally crack that code. I feel like uh, the, the hunters, if they are able to, to do that, then That'll be very interesting. I feel like the um, the North America region is a toss-up right now because teams that are utterly dominant in their rankings are, are losing to, and, and not making it to the tournaments. Um, and then teams that were previously dominant are getting picked apart by teams who've probably just dedicated hours to studying them. So I, I really don't know what's happening in the North America region anymore. I feel like 
the APAC region is is fairly on lock. Like the Philly Fusion were pretty good, but they're I think they're getting knocked down to kind of the middle of the pack now. Um, so for right now, I feel like it's the Hunters and the Dragons just sitting nice and pretty on top. And then after that, we've got the playoffs and the grand finals in September. So the season is 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 very quickly going to come to a close. Um, so next week, of course, the uh, the league is off because they've got that week after the tournament. But the week after that, on starting on the Friday, the 30th, we've got the Dallas Fuel facing the Paris Eternal, the Houston Outlaws facing the Washington Justice, the Hangzhou Spark facing the Seoul Dynasty, the New York Excelsior felt facing the Los Angeles Valiant, the Philly Fusion versus the Shanghai Dragons, the NYXL versus the LA Valiant, the Boston Uprising versus the Paris Eternal, the Atlanta Reign versus the LA Gladiators, the Dallas Fuel versus the San Francisco Shock, the Seoul Dynasty versus the LA Valiant, the Shanghai Dragons versus the NYXL, the Spark versus the Fusion, um, the Reign versus the Outlaws, the Shock versus the Uprising, and the Gladiators versus the Justice. There is a lot going on during <laughs> this upcoming two weeks from now yeah we're, we're gonna have you know we get that one week off to kind of chill um but yeah once we get back i feel like there's gonna be a lot of things to look forward to besides you know i as you stated you know the i feel like the na region is just literally all over the place like the top dogs are getting watched and are understood almost every turn and then the teams like once again, the Gladiators and, you know, the SF Shock are hanging in there in terms of standings, but they just can't seem to book their ticket. Uh, it's just something that they need to focus and hone in on um, in order to, you know, move forward. And I feel like, you know, the this Countdown Cup is going to be a little bit more of a lean in towards the playoffs and grand finals, but... You know, I'd much rather see how this is going. Um, and and yeah, I, I just uh, I'm kind of excited to see how this last tournament's going to shake out. I'm going to make no predictions because every single time I predict something, I'm wrong. Yeah, it, it's a toss up. It's 100 percent a toss up now. Like we thought we knew you, you think that, you know, with 100 weeks under our belt, we would kind of know what the, what's going on here. Uh, we don't. We don't know anymore. We we're uh, yeah. This is uh, we can't we can't go ask you know the one who remains the, the, for the answers here. We we're just we're all left in the dust. The more you mention this, Sean, the more I convinced you're variant. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> well, anyway, variant Kevin. Um, any last words for the week? Um, yeah. En- enjoy the the break we're gonna we're gonna have that uh good luck trying to get me out of the room uh i'm going to be locking myself in there pretty much um and yeah uh oh another thing if you guys are a fan of the world ends with you uh the the game comes out on the 27th which is a week from today so uh yeah i'm also going to be looking forward to that um and yeah that that should be about it all right, everybody, once again, thank you for tuning in to us and making us able to do this for 100 weeks. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate all of you listening to us across the world. Um, 
We'll see if Overwatch lasts long enough for another hundred weeks. See if we get Overwatch 2 within that period of time. Um, Overwatch 2 before episode 200. Yeah, we'll see. I I am also I'm honestly I don't know if that's going to happen. I hope it does, but with the way the development is going, we never know. Could be another two years. Anyway, guys, thank you for tuning in. Um, again, we're trying to find a uh, trying to get a guest in for next week. We'll see if the organization allows them to talk to us. I need to re-message them on Twitter. Um, but anyway, thank you guys, and we will catch you next week. Adios. Next week, the league takes a break and we cover any gaming news that heads our way. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms and follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. Questions or comments? Please send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. If you'd like to advertise with our show, please contact our network at Believe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.